We're starting a new series on the book of Acts. And we won't go through every verse in the book because if we went through every single verse in the book, it will take us two whole years to finish the whole book. And we're not going to do that. But instead, what we're going to do is to focus on God's mission to save the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's a movement that began with the early church starting from the book of Acts. And that's why this series is also subtitled Church on the Move. Church on the Move. And the first few verses of Acts chapter 1 starts like this. Let's read it. Verse 1 to verse 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy Spirit, would you come? and encounter us? Would you come and show us what it was like in those days when you first empowered the early believers to be the witnesses of Jesus and help us to live likewise? In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, amen. I will always remember my first trip to the United States of America. Of all the cities that you could possibly go for the first time in the U.S., I got the opportunity to go to New York City. As a young man in his 20s, I was going alone for a business trip. So I remember that it was an 8 o'clock flight early in the morning, and I had my bags all packed up. I was all ready to go to experience New York City. Oh, my goodness. And my wife, back then, she wasn't even my girlfriend yet. She was really nice. She wrote me an itinerary of all the places to visit, all the cafes to go to, all the restaurants to go to, Statue of Liberty, Times Square, go shopping on Fifth Avenue. Some of us know that really well. She, She planned it all out for me. I was so excited to go. So I went to the airport with my two check-in luggage, checked them in, got through the security, and being the good boy that I was at, I was at the gate, and I was waiting for the gate to allow me to board. And I waited till about the time where it was about to fly, which was about 7.30, 8 o'clock. And then all of a sudden, they started calling us to the counter, and they started talking to us. I thought, this is great, I'm gonna get an upgrade. But then they came and they said, I'm sorry, the plane has been delayed, it's gonna take another two hours. So I didn't know what to do. I thought maybe I'll swing by the lounge and I have my breakfast at the lounge. And you know in the lounge sometimes they tell you the the flight that you're going for and what time the gate is going to open? Well, two hours wait, 10 o'clock became another two hours. So I thought to myself, since I'm in the airport, why don't I go and check out the movies? And in Singapore airport, if you didn't know, they had a cinema that played movies throughout the day. And so I went there and I watched a movie. An hour and a half movie, I finished the whole movie and I went to the gate. 
And this time at the gate, they said, sorry, the plane is going to take even longer. So we're going to hand out coupons to you, and you can eat in any of the restaurants in here. So since it was about lunchtime, I said, why not? So I went to have my lunch. And after lunch, I went back to the gate. And this time they said, sorry, the gate has changed. You now got to go to the other side of the airport. And so I went to the other side of the airport, and I finally got onto the plane. And even when I was on a plane, I needed to wait for an hour before I flew to New York City. So my first trip to America, as exciting as it was, but it all began with this, a super long wait. I felt like I was Tom Hanks in a movie terminal, if you know what I mean. It felt like it was terminal for me. I wasn't going to make it to America. And like me, as an eager young man, waiting to, to head to New York City, you know, the early believers were eager and they were ready to go. But Jesus' first instruction to them wasn't an elaborate mission plan. He didn't psych them up to go for, with a game plan or missions. Instead, he gave them this word, wait. Why? Because as psyched up as they were, they could never have done it by themselves. As eager as they were, they could never get onto missions and do God's work on their own. They needed to wait. But for what? The Holy Spirit. And as we unpack today's message, I sense the Lord is just wanting to say to us again and to remind us again, we need to wait upon the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our families, in our ministries, and for our church. How many of you say amen to that? Church, are you ready to look into the Word of God? Let's go. So the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are traditionally understood to be written by the same guy, a Gentile or a non-Jew person, and he's a physician called Luke. Now when you think of physician, I don't want you to think about your family doctor, all right? Some of your family doctors are actually in this church. I don't want you to think about a family doctor. Think more of Leonardo da Vinci, a scientist, a researcher, a professor, a philosopher, a creative genius, a great thinker, and a New York Times best-selling author. That's what Luke was like. Because a physician, being a physician means that you're the smartest guy in town. And understanding the human body, which is what a physician does, is only one aspect of knowledge. But there is so much more than a physician usually knows. So Luke is actually way smarter than we think. Can you tell that I'm a big fan already? And why is this important for us to know? Because Luke writes with such great precision, with such great insights and intentionality. Now the revelation of God in what he writes is not just in what is written, but how he writes it. And I wanna give one example. So Luke and Acts, which, is now, which now comes to us as two separate books, is actually separated in our Bible by the Gospel of John, isn't it? But Luke and Acts was actually intended to be one continuous work. How do I know that? Look at the introduction of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. He says this, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And then at the introduction of Acts, the very first chapter, the very first verse, he says this, in my former book, which is the Gospel of Luke now, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. 
So what Luke describes in the Gospel of Luke, he further develops in the book of Acts. And what he writes about in the book of Acts was already developed or he had already started developing in the book of Luke. In order to understand the book of Luke, we need to read Acts. In order to understand the book of Acts, we need to read Luke, because they are one continuous story. Together they tell one story. Here are some fun facts for us who are Bible nerds, of which there are many in FCC as far as I know. Luke and Acts accounts for 27% of the New Testament. One guy wrote 27% of the New Testament, that's a lot. And each of them, Luke and Acts, they roughly contain about 40,000 40, Greek characters. It's almost like Luke decided to split it down the middle and to make them very equal, 40,000 and 40,000. Why did he separate them into two volumes? It is not a very profound reason. It's a very simple reason. And it's simply because the story he was writing was simply way too long. You know, they didn't have paper back then. It wasn't a technology. So what they used back then was this material called papyrus. Some of us might have heard of it. And the way you make papyrus is to take animal skin, you slice it off, you, you dry it under the sun, you tan it, and then you allow it to flatten out and then to become writing material. I know some of us are thinking, oh, dry, tan, animal skin, under the sun, you're thinking of bakuan. Or so maybe some of us are thinking of crispy pork, hock. And the problem with these kind of things is when you join them together to try to make one long writing scroll, there comes a point of time where it becomes too long that it begins to crumble and to tear. Isn't that true? So rather than allowing his work to break, Luke broke his two volumes into two different books, and that's what he did. So what I want to do today is to unpack the book of Acts, just, chap just verse one and eight of the first chapter from this angle. I'm gonna use the Gospel of Luke to help us to interpret the book of Acts, or as some people call it, scripture interpreting scripture. And I wanna ask this question today and help us to understand who is the Holy Spirit? according to Luke, the physician, in the first eight verses of Acts. So they're just three points, very simple points. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a guide. He is a guide, for those of us who are writing notes. He starts off by saying this in verse one to three. In my former book, O Theophilus, which means lover of God, what a great name, Theophilus, lover of God. Some of us should start naming our children that. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit appears in the book of Luke and Acts together 77 times. 20 times in the book of Luke, and 57 times in the book of Acts. In other words, for Luke, he is not a glorified sideshow, amen. He's not Jesus's sidekick, amen. Right from the very start of Acts, Luke is already very intentional in showing that the Holy Spirit is an active agent of God's guidance, God's direction, Jesus, 
Yes, even Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit for guidance and direction. How do we know that? Look at how the Holy Spirit guided Jesus in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter four, verse one, the Bible says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Jesus later on goes on to say this himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Now the word sent here is the Greek word apostello, which literally means to be someone who is ordered by someone else to go somewhere else. To be ordered by someone to go somewhere. And that's where we get the, the words apostles from. They are people who are sent out by God. Most of us don't realize this, but Jesus was technically the first apostle to be apostolode. You know what I'm saying? Jesus was sent by the Holy Spirit. He said it himself. The Holy Spirit was a guide for Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was a guide for the apostles and the early Christians too. Look at later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, verse 19 to 20. While Peter was still thinking about a vision that he had from God, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And in Acts 16, verse six, this is Paul now. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Isn't this interesting? Sometimes the Holy Spirit tells us to go. Sometimes the Holy Spirit tells us, no, don't go. Now all of us face big decisions in our lives at one point of time and another. Which university course should I go for? Should I marry that man? And all the parents probably think to yourself, no, 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 don't. Okay, marry, maybe not. Should I date that boy? Well, no, don't date that boy. Should I change my job? What should I do about my rent? What should I do about my mortgage? Interest rates are going up. What do I do about those things? What should I do about my kids? These are big decisions. The question is, how do you know what God wills? Or how do you know what God wants for you? I want to show you a very simple way of understanding this. Thanks, Aaron. The Bible, our Bible, the Word of God is like a map. I have with me here a map of the city of Perth. The Bible is given to us by God to give us a high level view of how God sees the world, how God sees us, how God sees creation. It tells us everything about where we're gonna go in life, about where we're gonna be at the end of time. It tells us how it starts, it tells us how it ends. The Bible is powerful, it's the authority of God, it has the ability to change lives, it gives us direction for what we need to do from the very beginning of life to the very last days of our lives. It's like a map, it doesn't change with time. God's word is the word of God and it's unchanging. The Holy Spirit is like a compass. I have with me a compass. 
old school compass. The compass tells you where you need to turn. Should I turn to the left, to the west? Should I turn to the right, in the east? How do I go from here to there? And uh, uh, what are the different ways that I can actually take my path? Now, the thing about the compass and the map is that they need to work together in order to get us to where we need to go. If we only have the compass, we know the directions, but we don't know the destination. If we only have the map, we know where to go, but we don't know how to get there. So we need the compass and the map. And in the same way, we need the Bible and the Holy Spirit in order to give us guidance for where we need to go in life. How do we know how to obey God? How do we know how to live what God wants, how, do, how God wants us to live? Or the more, more simple questions in the day-to-day, -day, what should I do? Where should I turn to? Should I make this decision? Should I do that? Should I say this or should I say that? That's the Holy Spirit. And the Bible gives us a high-level view of what God wants. Thank you, Aaron. So the Holy Spirit is a compass. He is a guide. You can count on him. In summary, I put it this way. In all things, refer to the Word of God. But at all times, defer to the Holy Spirit. Submit to the Holy Spirit. Ask him, what is it that you want me to do, Holy Spirit? How do you want me to live in obedience to the word of God, according to the word of God? He's your compass. He's your guide. You can count on him. Church, say this with me. The Holy Spirit is a guide for my life. Very good. Number one, he's a guide. Number two, the Holy Spirit is a gift. Luke writes this for us in, chap in chapter one, verse four to five. On one occasion while he was eating, while Jesus was eating, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Jesus had just spent 40 days with the disciples. He set them through a 40 day intensive course teaching them about many things. Now the Bible doesn't record for us what exactly he taught. Maybe he taught them, you know, how to build an intentional disciple-making church. Maybe he taught them how to share about me. Maybe he taught them how to preach. He, he watched them preach and then he gave them feedback. Made it, maybe he taught them how to run a connect group. Maybe he helped them to memorize scripture. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but what we know is that after 40 days, when the, when the disciples thought that they were finally ready, Jesus said, wait. Don't you go about trying to fulfill all that I have planned for you by your own strength, by your own skills, by your own strategy. Wait for the gift my Father promised, the Holy Spirit that you heard me talk about before. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a gift. But here is one thing that I learned about gifts. You can either receive them or you can reject them. You can either receive the gift or you can reject the gift. Last year, when, when I was in my connect group, we were celebrating Christmas. And I had a few rounds of celebrations uh, in different groups. And, and, and in, in a lot of groups, we played this game called Secret Santa. You guys know the game, Secret Santa? Where you try to wrap up the gift and people don't know who gave that gift, but you just get that gift. 
So in my Connect group, we played Secret Santa. And so all the gifts were nicely wrapped up on the table, and different people got their chance to take the gifts. When it came to my turn, I looked at the gifts, I was like, that one looks pretty good. So it looks like not too big. Usually the big ones are the cheaper ones. And the small ones, they might contain like a million dollar diamond ring, you don't know. Good things come in small packages. And I thought that one looked pretty decent. So maybe it's something useful for me. It also looked a little bit like an Apple Watch. So I thought, why not? So I took it and being very excited, I quickly peeled off the gift wrap. And of all the things that I could possibly get for this secret Santa, I got myself a box of hand cream. <laughs> I mean, have you seen my hands? Do I even look like I use hand cream? Do I even look like I need hand cream? So the box of hand cream is still in my bathroom. It's, I'm waiting for the next secret center this year, and some lucky person is going to get that hand cream. <laughs> in Luke's gospel, Jesus taught his disciples about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. Luke 11, verse 9 to 13. So I say to you, don't reject the gift. No, he said this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, you will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Here Jesus commands us to ask, seek, and knock. And He's actually not asking us to ask. Will you ask? He's actually commanding us to ask. It's an imperative verb in the Greek, which means to say, it's a command. But ask, seek, and knock for what? What is the context of what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 11? It is the Holy Spirit. For some of us here, we might be, when we hear the Holy Spirit, we might feel a little bit afraid. We might be scared because of what we experience. We might have grown cold and skeptical towards things of the Spirit because of what we've seen and what we've heard. Oh, when the Holy Spirit shows up, people are going to start speaking in tongues. When the Holy Spirit shows up, there are people who are going to be lying on the floor. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's going to be out of control and, and there's going to be chaos. There's going to be all kinds of things that we cannot understand and it's all happening around us. Sometimes it scares us because we think that way. But you don't have to be fearful of Him. The Holy Spirit isn't a snake or a scorpion. Amen. He's not going to bite. Amen. And the Holy Spirit is definitely no hand cream. Amen. He's a good gift from a good heavenly Father. That's what Jesus says. We don't have to be afraid or wary of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus, who is so good to us, so loving, so gracious, so merciful to us, He commands us to, to ask for Him, to seek for Him, to knock for the Holy Spirit. Some of us here, you've never experience the Holy Spirit because you never asked for the Holy Spirit. And I feel like God is just saying to us today, ask, seek, knock for the Holy Spirit. And some of us, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and then we, when we experience Him, 
we may experience Him differently. For some of us, we may end up crying. That's me, I cry a lot when the Holy Spirit comes on me. Some of us, we may end up laughing. Some of us, we may end up lying down on the floor. Some of us will begin to see visions. Some of us will release prophetic words. Some of us, for some of us, we will, he will bring to mind a memory verse or a scripture in the Bible. There are many ways to experience him. But there's one way, only one way that it all starts. And it begins with this. You ask for the Holy Spirit. Jesus says once, once more in verse 13 of Luke chapter 11, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amen. Church, say this with me. The Holy Spirit is a gift to be received. Amen. Number one, He's a guide. Number two, He's a gift. Number three, the Holy Spirit is a giver of power. In verse six to eight of Acts chapter one, Luke writes this. Then they gathered around him, Jesus, and asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they thought Jesus was, was gonna come and lead a, a revolution, and the Roman Empire is gonna be overthrown, and Israel is gonna come together as a kingdom again. But Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The word power in here is the Greek word dunamis, which literally means strength, ability, might. It is where the English word dynamite comes from. Dunamis, dynamite. It means raw, explosive, Power. I'm talking about dynamite, like the boom thing, not the song by BTS, okay? Or the song by Westlife in 2019, so of some of us who are the more senior ones, Dynamite by Cliff Richard in 1967. I'm not talking about those dynamite. I'm talking about the power of God, the raw, explosive power. How critical is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Can we get through life without experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit? Can we minister and change lives of the people around us and truly be a witness to Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Notice Jesus didn't say, and listen carefully, Notice Jesus didn't say, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. No, notice the sequence. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, the power of the Holy Spirit is not just beneficial to fulfilling God's plan and mission for your life. It is essential. The power comes before the plan. The means from God comes before the mission. We gotta get the sequence right. 
And for me, that is a comforting thought. That is an encouraging thought. What that means is God will not send me somewhere and make me do something without first availing the power of the Holy Spirit to me in order to do that which he has asked me to do. The power always comes before the plan. The means always comes before the mission. The Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill God's mission and plan for us. So church, say this with me. The Holy Spirit is a giver of power. Amen. Number one, he's a guide. Number two, he's a gift. Number three, he's a giver of power. And church, I want to show you something that the Lord showed me as I was studying this passage for this message. You see, the disciples had spent three and a half years with Jesus at this point of time. He had died. He had risen from the grave. It's in three and a half years. And they've seen Jesus do all his stuff, all the Jesus stuff. They knew how to do ministry Jesus' way. They've seen him teach. They've seen him heal. They've seen him deliver demons, make the lame walk, the blind see. They've seen how he ministered to people to do miracles. They knew the words. They knew the steps. They knew the actions. And, And frankly, if they wanted to, they could fake it until they make it. They could. And the second thing is they also knew what the scripture says. Because by the time we get to the end of Luke, they had already heard at least 24 parables of Jesus, and then he unpacked that for them separately. He explained his parables to his disciples. They have heard many more teachings of Jesus, and and just in case they still didn't get it, in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus had risen from the dead, Jesus, look at what, what, what happened in verse 45 of Luke 24. And then Jesus opened up their minds, He mind-blown them. He opened up their minds so that they could understand the Scripture. So by the time you get to Acts chapter 1, they had already a very solid understanding of God's Word, of, of the Scripture. So they knew the strategies to ministry. They've seen Jesus done it. They knew the Scriptures because Jesus opened their mind. But even then, Jesus knew they still lacked one thing if they were to fulfill God's call, if they were to be useful to God, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. So church, if we want to be able to fulfill God's mission and plan for our lives, for your life and for mine, then we need the power of the Holy Spirit. No amount of strategizing matters unless we're filled by the power of God's Spirit. No amount of Bible knowledge matters unless we are filled by the power of God's Spirit. Here is the truth, unless the Holy Spirit fills you, God cannot use you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I love a particular testimony from one of our sisters. Her name is Joya, and she's willing to share her testimony with us today. She's one of the team members who went to Cambodia mission trip in March. And she wrote this wonderful testimony for us that you can go out and read. I'll tell you more a little bit. And here's what she said. Here's what she wrote. In the simplest of ways, here's how she encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the third day of medical outreach. I was asked to pray for an elderly couple. I have not been on the prayer team for the past two days, and I was a little doubtful about the effectiveness of my prayer and how I should even pray. So I prayed for the Holy Spirit's help 
in my heart before I started praying out loud. To God's glory, the lady receiving the prayer said she felt better and lighter after the prayer. So I became bolder to pray for people's healing and salvation after that encounter. I'm also grateful to God for giving me a chance to partner with him to share his word and heart for the people that we met in Cambodia. I don't think I've ever prayed so many, over so many people in my life before. This trip has taught me to completely depend on the Holy Spirit for prayers of salvation, blessings, and encouragement. I now truly believe that God can use anyone, even the weakest, for someone else's salvation and restoration. Without the Holy Spirit, I won't have the courage or words to pray and share. So really and truly, all glory and honor belongs to God. That's the story of Joya. Would you give Jesus a big hand in this house? And that's just one of the many testimonies that are printed on that wall in Williton campus. That wall with all the wooden bricks and cubes that makes up the world map. There are many more stories in there. Go and scan the QR codes with your phones and read all the stories, amazing. And my prayer that more than just reading, that you will encounter the Holy Spirit in your life and in your ministry so that your own story, like Joya's, can be printed on that block and you will encounter God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a guide, he's a gift, he's a giver of power, amen. Now I wanna close by talking about something that God wants to highlight today. Church, we, we spent the last 25 minutes, 30 minutes talking and studying the Word of God. We're only at the introduction of the book of Acts. Only the first eight verses. Wow. Only the first eight verses. There is another 27 and a half chapters of Acts to go. There's going to be some crazy, incredible stuff that's going to be mind-blowing when we get there about how powerful God is, how amazing God is, all the incredible stuff that God did in the book of Acts. We're going to get there in time. But this passage today is where it all starts. It starts with one very important command from Jesus himself to the disciples. And I believe that if they got it wrong, if they got this command wrong, the rest of Acts would never have happened. What is this command? Acts 1 verse 4. Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. When Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem, he's not talking just about leaving town. Don't leave town. There is another word, there's another Greek word for just leaving, and that's the word exokomai. Jesus didn't use that Greek word exokomai. Instead, he used the Greek words me chorizo, which literally means don't divorce yourself from. Don't separate yourself like a husband and a wife. Don't separate yourself. Jesus is not talking just about the physical. He's talking about your heart. He's not just talking about where your body is at. He's talking about where your heart and your mind is at. Don't divorce and separate yourself 
from Jerusalem. You see, Jesus has spent 40 days downloading the mission and the plan that God has for the disciples. He just spent 40 days going through all that. So guess what? The disciples were excited, they were eager, they couldn't wait to get out there and to get going. Like me, waiting for my plane in New York City, to New York City. They were physically in Jerusalem. Yes, they were in Jerusalem, but their hearts were already elsewhere. They were already looking to do all that God had for them. They were with Jesus in that place, yes, but their minds were already running elsewhere. So Jesus says, don't rush, but wait for my Holy Spirit. Why? Because so often, brothers and sisters, we rush into God's work without waiting for God. We rush from task to task. We're so busy throughout the day doing our daily stuff for our families, for God, for ministry, for church, that we do so without waiting for God's power. We make decisions, we rush decisions after decisions, all the things we have to decide without waiting for his guidance. We rush God for change. God changed my spouse. God changed my children. God changed my physical situation, my sickness. God changed my financial situation. God changed my ministry without waiting upon his timing. We rush, we rush, we rush without waiting for his Holy Spirit. And when we do so, church, we end up doing and deciding things out of our own strength, out of our own wisdom. No wonder some of us, we are so tired No wonder some of us, we're so frustrated. No wonder some of us, we feel like we're constantly hitting our heads against a brick wall. Our prayers don't get answered. You pray for someone to be healed, nothing happens. You pray for someone to be saved and you're trying to evangelize to your loved ones. Nothing happens because we have been doing perhaps out of our own strength. And if the disciples in the book of Acts, if they did it out of their own strength, if they tried to do so by their own strength and their own strategies, You know what, I truly believe, maybe, that the rest of Acts would not have happened. The Acts would have just ended in chapter one if they choose to do it out of their own strength. But praise be to God that they decided to wait upon the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. And Pastor Amos is gonna bring us through that next week. Praise be to God that they waited upon the Holy Spirit and they encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. They received the power that Jesus promised. And then the next 27 of incredible things that happened in the book of Acts managed to take place because God could use them. So church, I wanna say to us prophetically, as individuals, personally, and also for us as a church, God has a mission for us. God wants to use you God has a plan for you. God wants you to do great things for him because he's a great God. For some of us who are young ones, some of you God has marked in your life. Count my words today and in the years to come, look at what happens if you were to follow after Jesus. God has set a fire down in your soul that you cannot contain, that you cannot control. God is gonna burn in that fire and you're gonna be used mightily for God. For those of us, the rest of the church, God still has many more chapters to write in your life. 
The fact that you're here, you're breathing, means God is still not done with you. He still wants to use you. He's got a plan for you. But God is saying, don't do it out of your own strength. Don't do it out of your own wisdom, your own ability. But wait for my spirit. Wait for my spirit. Church, would you just stand with me today as we seek to close? In just a moment, I'm gonna pray and then we're all gonna get into a time of worship. And I sense that God is just tugging at some of our hearts today. God is stirring a hunger and a thirst for more of Him, more of His Spirit in our lives. God is stirring a desire to wait on Him, to wait upon His Spirit for guidance, for power, for the Holy Spirit Himself in our lives. And maybe as you're hearing today God's Word being preached, your heart is going thump, 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 thump. Can I say that maybe that's the Holy Spirit moving? He wants to get into your life. And if that's you today, I want you to respond. I want you to respond to the Word of God. Don't rush. Don't rush out of here. Don't rush to the next thing that you have in your mind. But wait on the Holy Spirit. As we sing this song, can I invite you to just come to the front and let the team, let us, wait upon the Holy Spirit with you and pray with you. So let's bow our heads in prayer as we get into the song. Spirit of God, would you come? Spirit of God, would you come? Would you encounter your people mightily and powerfully in this house? Would you help us to receive you, to see you, to encounter you like never before? We need your word, we need your guidance, we need your direction. Some of us, we have no clue where we're gonna go, what we're gonna do with some, some of the big decisions in our lives. We need you, Holy Spirit. Some of us, we need your power. We've been praying, we've been asking, we've been doing things out of our own strength and we're tired. We don't wanna do it that way anymore. We want you, Holy Spirit. We wanna wait on you. Spirit of God, would you come and work mightily in the lives of your people as we pray and as we seek and as we wait. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.